there is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. That's Romans 3.11. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. It's John 6.44. And from those two verses, it seems like we've got this, uh, quite, quite this dilemma, right? That uh, no, no one just automatically on their own, according to Paul in Romans 3, seeks God. And then Jesus saying, hey, unless the Father actually even sends out this signal, sends out this call, that person's never going to start following, never going to start seeking. Uh, I, I'm Andy Jenkins. Thanks for hopping on with me. I, I've been talking for the last, I think this is talk number seven, um, plus, a, of course, the intro to the whole series. I've been, been doing this series of talks. Um, somebody, again, sent me a message last week and said it's it's kind of like a sermon, except for it's not in church. M- maybe so. In, in fact, I actually, uh, I talked about one of, of the, uh, one of the talks that I've, kind of relayed to you. I, I kind of strung some of them together, pieces of them together at a men's event where I was speaking one time. Uh, it, w- it was business related uh, about two years ago. I remember it. Uh, and uh, I actually told the guys, uh, we, we didn't even know what we we're going to talk about that night. One of the guys that was speaking couldn't be there. And so uh, I uh, was speaking at other times, filled in, didn't really have a plan going into it. And so I, I really just spent some time that afternoon praying thinking, pondering, what is it that these guys need? Uh, I'll, I'll give you the information another time, or maybe I'll just kind of redo the talk for you when we get to the end of this. Because I, I kind of wrapped this whole series into into one tidy bundle and gave it to them. And, and I got up there and I told them, I said, you know, I, I promise you, like, I, d- I don't have a Bible in my hand, but this is going to be more kind of like a, a sermon than just a talk. And I promise you, even though some of you came here just for business uh, information to, to grow your business, this will apply to all of you. Like, like information I believe that's true, no matter where you find it, is true. And so I've been talking about this whole thing uh, with redemption for quite some time and uh, yes it does sound more like a sermon that kind of thing but but i promise you no matter where you're coming at in your faith journey uh welcome thanks for hopping on this information will will i guarantee you it will help you it has uh helped me reset um so much in life that was going on uh some of you know my story i'm not gonna get into it right now but in my mid 40s basically lost everything and, and i'm in my mid 40s now like so i'm on the i'm on the back side of the mid uh on the back side of that hump but it's just been in the last couple of years i mean literally just the rug of everything just pulled out from under you uh, some of you can relate to that and what i'm telling you is there's this path that's set out and the lord redeems and he restores and I, and i hate to put it in language because language always oversimplifies things or that's the danger of it yet this is the best way we have to communicate and so kind of we have to talk but yet talking sometimes can make it sound like you're oversimplifying and not understanding um I talk a lot about this in a Facebook group that I've set up. I'll put the link down in, in the show notes. I would love to invite you into that. 
And then once a month, some of us just get together at my house here up on the hilltop, and we we talk about some of these things. And so if you're local in Birmingham and you want to come, uh, we just cook out, eat, hang out, generally teach some stuff. Uh, a lot of times it's related to health and wellness and some of the other uh, businesses type things that I've got going on, but we just come have fun. So no string attached to any of that. Um, to come over here, you got to just kind of send me a private message, right? And that's that's it. Generally the third Thursday of the month. Okay, let's roll into the content. In the previous talk, I discussed Jesus bleeding in the Garden of Gethsemane and redeeming our will, redeeming our desire. Uh, theologians have this concept that I brought up called the bondage of the will, which basically means shorthand that you and I are going to do what other people have done, which is choose to do wrong. Like simultaneously, Scripture teaches that humanity is creating in God's image, yet simultaneously, like there's this internal tug of war, and Jesus frees us from that. So I talked about that idea that, you know, there's a part of us that chooses to run away from God and do the things that our flesh, body, mind, emotions, our flesh, which is neutral, often leads us to do because it is not strong like the Spirit, yet we we want to do what the Spirit leads us to do. So there's that internal thing right there. Jesus redeems it. Here's, here's what I want to talk about in this episode, though. Uh, th- this one is big. Is Jesus redeems us from the anxiety, from the fear, and from the unrest that are often associated with all of that. Um, Let me flesh it out. It's often fear and angst that keep us from trusting in the Lord and from surrendering our will to His will. Or to say it another way, we choose the wrong things because we believe the pleasure or the payoff of that choice will be greater and that we'll miss out on something if we don't. Meaning, nobody trades down. We're always, in a sense, looking out for ourselves and trading up. And and there's usually a grab bag of emotions right there in the middle of it that causes us to make bad decisions. Uh, Each of these actions, the things we do, they reveal an internal condition of our soul Again, usually surrounded about fear, angst, uh, uncertainty. Let, let me give you some examples. Maybe this will kind of flesh it out because I, I promise you, like this is hyper super relevant. It, it sounds kind of ethereal right now and kind of sounds disconnected or sounds kind of uh, just uh, abstract, but let's make it real world. So, why do people turn to addictions? Well, it's, it's because we have a hard time coping. We need to, we feel like, escape from reality. So we turn to a, a sin issue because of fear, angst, unrest in the soul. Um, or why, why do people not give? Why aren't they generous sometimes? Well, it's because we might feel like we're always the one giving from a small supply. Everyone else is always getting more and more of their fair share why didn't somebody else kick in? 
Um, I remember snapping at my kids once because I had a bad day, because I had a once trusted family member that that was literally suing me and taking me to court over and over time and time. And I just snapped. I was overcome with stress. I'm overcome with pressure. It just comes out somewhere. It comes out on the kids. And I, I had to repent. What caused the sin? Fear, angst, unrest, mistrust in the soul. Some of you might resonate with this one. You choose to stay in a relationship. One maybe you knew you shouldn't have been in because you're afraid that you'll find yourself alone. Or, or you throw yourself into work because you find value there. You don't think that you're enough. I've, I've been there. where I don't think I'm enough just on the merit of myself. I'm worth more if I achieve something, if I complete a task that has value, uh, or if I somehow earn a paycheck. Think, think about this one. How, how many of you have ever stolen anything? You've taken something from a person. You've taken something from work. You stole something from um, the government. You cheated on your taxes. Even just like a little cheat. Why? Maybe maybe because we doubt God's provision or maybe because we feel entitled. How many of you have done this one? I've, I've done this. You sin, repent, sin, repent, fall off the wagon, back on, off. You boomerang because... I mean, honestly, you, you don't know why. I don't know why. It just, maybe it seemed comfortable. And maybe even putting up safeguards to not go back there seemed more uncomfortable. Here's, here's what I'm getting at in all, in all of those situations. Sometimes our desire uh, and the decisions that we make to do wrong, they, they act act like a symptom of some sort of struggle going on in our flesh. So our spirit should never submit to our soul. Our spirit should never submit to our mind. Our spirit shouldn't submit to our emotions collectively. Now, all of those should all fit together, but the spirit is submitting to the spirit of the Lord, uh, which, by the way, he's written scripture so we can look at an objective signpost. So, you know, you, you don't get a pass on just like, well, my spirit felt like no he's he's written out so we've got objective criteria that that we can look at but often we we find ourselves handicapped by fear of what life will look like if we exercise the power of our will in a different way than what we do right i mean you just think through the examples that i gave you just kind of real real world real life ones that like i've i've been through uh in those we're just trying to get by. We're just trying to do the best we can, yet it creates this um, hobbling through life effect, maybe. And, and no, the, the circumstances that, that, that created the situation, they, they don't excuse the sin that we chose to do any more than the fact that there were giants in the promised land when the children of Israel um, left slavery in Egypt. And remember, they walked through the wilderness for a couple days, and then they went in to send spies into the promised land. And they went in there and they said, hey, the land looks great. It's just like God said through Moses, but there are giants there. The circumstances are there. So the people start living in fear, and they choose to do something that was, was wrong because of the circumstances. 
Okay, the circumstances, the giant doesn't excuse the bad decision they made. The circumstances in which you and I find ourselves don't excuse the bad decisions that we make. But, but I tell you this, like the, the more I walk through life, the, the, number one, the more conservative probably theologically and politically I actually get. At the same time, the more gracious I find myself and the more open I find myself becoming. It, and I know that sounds like an oxymoron. And at the same time, the more I see that life's not black and white, it is all sorts of shades of gray. And whereas right and wrong may be black and white, it often exists in the shade of gray. The decisions have to be made in a land that is largely gray. And and what, what that means is that the situation never excuses the sin. Uh, the situation that's loaded with fear, with anxiety, with turmoil, with unrest, with uh, emotional overwhelm, never excuses the sin. But golly, I mean, those circumstances, they present the stressors with which we must learn to cope. And then they sure do explain our rationale for making the decisions. Um, maybe that that makes sense. It makes sense to me. <laughs> and often, you know, to be honest, I'm kind of processing this as I'm as I'm talking it out loud, as I'm presenting it off to you. Here's what I want you to see in all that. Jesus redeems both the bad effects, the bad decision making, and I really think that he he redeems the causes. I think that he re- redeems the anxiety, the fear, the turmoil, the stress that create the situations in which all of that turmoil exists. Like He doesn't necessarily calm the storm preemptively, but he does show you that, hey, in the midst of the storm, you can stay calm. He, he empowers us, in other words, to kind of flip that script such that you and I are going to interact with the external world and perceive real dangers and threats as being real and perceive real circumstances as being authentic, yet knowing that our spirit is stronger. And when that happens, we can live from the Spirit, not just what our mind, not just what our emotions, not just what practical experience in the past tells us. And again, I think this has everything to do with the freedom of the will that He redeemed for us when He bled in the garden, which remember, Adam laid down his will in a garden. Jesus picked up our will and redeemed it in a different garden. Now, go back with me several thousand years, back to Exodus, the slaves in Egypt several thousand years ago. The slaves in Egypt had no freedoms. They made no decisions. They had no choice about anything they did or did not do. They were Pharaoh's property. They, they were, if you want to listen back to the previous episode, they were like Romans 7 says, they were sold under the authority of sin. They, they might have had the desire to do something else, but they could not do it. That, that's the image that Paul portrays of us. But in an evening when they were set free, the Lord delivered them and he let them go instantly. Now, God instructed them to a couple weird things. Exodus 12, 8, eat unleavened bread. Uh, unleavened bread doesn't have the yeast. There, there was no time to leisurely prepare a meal throughout the entire day and then wait for the yeast to saturate through the dough, for the bread to rise. 
they were commanded to gird their loins also. That, that's in Exodus 12, 11. Uh, so unleavened bread, no yeast, gird your loins. Girding your loins is it's this strange phrase that you hear in the Bible a lot. Um, let me explain it. Back then when a lot of people wore robes, uh, you'll see that a lot in the Middle East today. And whereas it's impossible virtually to run in a long robe, and if, if you doubt it, just go down, go down in the hall to the closet, some closet in your house, apartment, wherever you are, grab a dress, and then try to hustle down the street, even in tennis shoes. You're, you're going to trip over. It's like running in a toga. Can you imagine the Romans running in togas? No, no they, they gird their loins. Here's how it works. You reach down between your legs, grab the back of the skirt, or the back of the bottom of the robe, pull it up to the front of your waist, and then cinch it in your belt, effectively like turning the toga or turning the robe or turning the dress um, or skirt into pants. Okay, so notice what's happening in the Exodus story. You've got slaves, and God says, quick meal, no time for frills. No, no time for appetizers and all that kind of, kind of stuff. Quick meal. Number two, get your robe in order, cinch it up, tie it up so you can move fast. Number three, prepare for your freedom march. And it, it all points to this. Like freedom's not, or for them, it wasn't this process of gradual trust. For, for me, it seemed like it's a process of gradual t- trust, a, a long March For them, it, it wasn't this tug of war like Paul highlights in Romans 7 that I spoke about in the previous episode. Freedom happened in a moment of deliverance. It's exactly what Paul describes in Romans 8.1. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Boom. Thank Jesus. There is no condemnation because Jesus has set me free. One one pastor I was reading when I was studying this information, his name is Mahesh Chavda, uh, writes this, Part of our freedom in Christ is deliverance, whether it's from pain or disease, addiction, demonic oppression or possession, emotional or psychological problems, mental illness, anger, hate, bitterness, or, and he just says this, or whatever. Once people understand the freedom that is available in Jesus, they rush to get delivered. Notice that last phrase. People rush to get delivered. Like like it happens in a moment. Uh, Like they gird up their loins, they eat fast, and they run to it. He he also writes this, though. He he said many, many people, they know Jesus, so they... They've been to church, or they've seen a picture, they've read the story, they may even have walked the aisle, they may even have gotten sprinkled or baptized, dunked, or. but they know nothing of his power to deliver because no one has ever told them. Now, you, th- you think about that, they know nothing of his power to, li- to deliver. How, how many times have you heard a talk on the concept that Jesus set your mind and your desires free. And he can even free you from the attachments related to the circumstances that cause you to want to make bad decisions in the first place. I mean, I, 
I grew up in church. I don't I don't think I ever did. But that may be where you're finding yourself. You, you might be let's just kind of put some imagery to it. You might you might be like standing on the edge of your toes, like kind of, hey, can I jump into it? Or sitting on the edge of your seat, like, okay, ready ready to get up and launch forth to start this freedom march. Almost like you're stretching forth, reaching out, wanting to grab this freedom, wanting to move ahead to what's been declared to you. If that's the case, I would say this, that hunger is not an empty dream. Do you remember those verses I opened up this talk with? Uh, No one seeks God on their own. That's Romans 3.11. In John 6, Jesus said, No one can come to the Father or to the Son unless the Father draws him. See, your yearning for freedom is God's invitation for you to receive the fullness of the freedom that Jesus has already achieved for you and now is revealing to you. I, I, I taught an online workshop. It, it was a few years ago. The main point of the, the whole thing was this. It's God's revelation to you is his invitation. Revelation is invitation. Revelation is invitation. Revelation is invitation. In, in, in other words, the, the, the bigger concept, to put it in a sentence, is this. God doesn't simply reveal truth to you so that you can study it. He doesn't reveal truth just to inform you, he reveals truth. He reveals himself. He's truth. He, he reveals it to, to allow you to encounter him, to permit you to experience him. And when, when he shows you another facet of himself, whether it's through something that I'm teaching you, whether it's through something you're reading somewhere else, whether it's through a sermon at church, whether it's through a song, through a movie, through nature. Uh, the psalm says, you know, the heavens declare God's majesty, glory. So, so anywhere where he reveals, like it is his invitation for you to receive what he's revealing. And, and I would guarantee you that he is better experienced than explained. And, and I would even go farther. He invites you to, to receive it in full right then. Like the children of Israel, immediate, quick meal, gird up your loins, rush, deliverance. Not, not this gradual, slow, over time. John 3.34, Jesus says he gives the Spirit without measure. Like he gives you the Spirit at full capacity. He doesn't give you the Spirit or his gifts in pieces. He gives them whole. Now, you, you and I, we often think, and, and we've been we've been taught that uh, sometimes we got to step it up and believe harder in order for the Lord to do great things. I, I've heard pastors at churches say, even a well-known local church, and, and it seems to be the mantra of what it's a church I attend, and they say the same thing every time they do a prayer focus. Let's just dig in deeper. Let's just go after God. Let's just it's well intended. So I'm not. It's like this is not a body slam on the church or those leaders. They they do amazing work. Say I, I attend there. The tension is the Bible tells us that faith isn't something that we generate by digging in. Faith is something 
that comes to us. Romans 10.17 says, faith comes by hearing. Faith's not earned. It's not something that you, you try to acquire. Like, faith comes. Um, Galatians tells us this. It, it says that the life we live now, we live by the faith of the Son of God. In other words, all the situations, the circumstances that we're facing that seem so overwhelming, no, 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 there's faith for that, but it's not our faith. And maybe that's why we we fall so weak and we make bad decisions because we don't realize like it's faith of the Son of God, not faith in the Son of God. If you look at the King James Version, uh, King Jimmy, mo- most other translations miss that and they suggest that it's faith in the Son of God. But the King James Version, KJV, it rightly denotes that God himself places the faith inside of you, inside of me. It's his faith working in each of us. In other words, the gifts we receive by faith, even they come from a faith that's also a gift in and of itself. Here's how I would tie it all together uh, for the purposes of this talk. If, if the Lord places within you a desire for freedom, that's his invitation for you to receive it. He's not placing that uh, to inform you. He's placing it to invite you. Um, it, it's If it's faith that's alive in you to make something happen, it is his faith. John 6, 44, um, the Lord is clear, Jesus, that that no one can come to the Father or no one can come to the Son unless the Father draws. That word in the Greek language, it, it really, it means this. It means to drag, almost like th- there is this, well, well, Paul says in another passage, the love of Christ compels us. That word means to get hogtied, not not kicking and screaming. It's just like, hey, um, I'm tied up and lassoed. There's literally nothing else I could choose because I'm I'm being drawn and pulled into the presence of my Creator, my Redeemer. Uh, one, one night I finished teaching this topic at a church, and a young man he walked up to me. And he, he says this, he says, I, I want this to be real to me. I mean, I see people singing and clapping and raising their hands. I want that. I want it to be real. So I asked him, I said, really, do you, do you mean that? You, you're sure you really want this to be real? And he told me again, yeah, absolutely. So I, I referenced the verse from John 6, 44. The, the only way you can come to the Son is if the Father is drawing you, I told him. And then I added that Galatians 2.20 verse. Yeah, I said Galatians 2.20 tells us that it's it's his faith in you. It's the faith of the Son of God that, that r- makes you rise up, that stirs something from within to live the life that you're wanting to live. And then I added the verse from Romans 3.11. Romans 3.11 says that nobody seeks God on their own, and so I told him, I said, if, if you put all these verses together, and he, he interrupted me with this beautiful grin on his face. And he says, oh, if I want to know him and if I want it, then he put that desire there and he's drawn me like he's freed me to choose him instead of choosing my old ways. 
And, and I thought, man, like presto, absolutely, yes. So that guy, he prays. He, right then, he invites the Lord into his life. He acknowledges this freedom, this invitation, not, not to inform him of what God's like, but this invitation to experience him, to encounter him. And over the next few weeks, I, I saw this man, he reconnected with an elementary age daughter that he had, he'd gotten a girlfriend pregnant. He reconnects with that daughter. Uh, he, I watch him pray healing for an uncle who was then healed. I, I saw him land a job. He begins working steadily. He put down his old addictions. Everything changed. His his will, his desire, what he wanted to do had been transformed. And, and you see Philippians 2.13, it encourages you and I and him with this promise that God works in us to both to will, that, that is to desire, and to do. That, that means to act upon God's good pleasure, his great intentions for us. And, and that, that's that's what we've been talking about. Like we we want to not only want to do what God wants us to do, we, we want to want to do it and we want to be able to follow through. We, we become free to step out of that tango, out away from that tug of war, away from that tension that Paul wrote about in Romans 7, 14 through 25, when he said, hey, the good that I want to do, I can't do it. And the, the, the bad that I don't want to do, I find myself stuck diving into that rut. N- another passage Paul writes, kind of just stacking idea on idea here is, Philippians 2.5, it encourages us, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. That to me, when you find that command in Scripture, if it's an invitation, which, which it is, it's a revelation, so it's an invitation, it infers it must be possible for us to do it, to allow our thoughts to be like Christ's thoughts. 1 Corinthians 2.16, it reminds us we have the mind of Christ. That, that means we can think the very things that he would ponder upon. We have that same capacity. We've been recreated that radically. Well, let me land it. Let me conclude. What, what does it all mean? It, it means this. It means you are free to do whatever the Lord himself would do in any given situation with his will, his desire placed inside of you. The, the Bible, again, says you no longer live, but Christ lives in you, expressing himself through you. Do you see? And you're free from the anxiety, from the unrest, from the tension, from the topsy-turvy, from the tug-of-war, from all the other things that would make it seem as if there's something else safer, better. You never have to trade down. Do you see my, my prayer for you is that the Lord would bless you, that he'd keep you. He'd be gracious to you. He'd make his face a favor to continue shine upon you. And may you realize not just the freedom of your will, but the freedom 
from the situations that create the unrest in the moment. Not, not that he would instantly calm every single storm, because, because he said, in this world, you will face trouble. Jesus himself even prayed and said, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have enough trouble and worry of its own. But may, as you face those, may you sense and be able to separate the trouble from the fear that it causes, the trouble from the anxiety, the trouble from the unrest, the trouble from the propensity to make a lesser decision. And in that moment, may you step back, may you realize the full gravity of your redemption, and may you lean into the Spirit. Grace, peace, I'll see you again soon.